Can you hear me online now? Okay. This needs. Let me try this. I said to myself, I Yeah, and then the other one. Exactly. Can you hear anything online right now? Okay. Very good. Very good, very good. Does anyone else see come in to shut the door? Oh, I have to remember the How's the rain damage in your house? Oh, wow. It, I'm, I'm right for the moment. It was coming down the inside of us. Oh, yeah, we Yeah. Well, my roof was. So you can hear me online now. Okay, good. All right. We got contact. All right, let's begin. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused awful these scriptures be written for our learning. Grant we in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort, of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which has given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. So that yeah, they came yesterday to start installing and, and uh, they ran a little snag in my office because it turns out that the TV that was there was just hung on the drywall, was not hung in the stud. And they're hanging this is a, this is a major thing. So this this guy's actually really good. He he uh, does some stuff up in Hollywood and stuff like that, the studio. So he, he, we had to really play with it. So he took the, the bracket, he cut a 45 degree angle off it to fit in underneath. And, but it, it, they were at it for a few hours. So that's why I have some hope that that would be done and we'd meet in that room with that. And then not, so we just here, so here we are. This is where we are. But this works. And this is, we're going to try more of this orientation where our people online are, are with us and we're not like so much back with them. So, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, uh, we have who you see and we also have Robert who's hiding and Katie who's hiding for very, for a super good reason. There's Katie, the child. So, okay. And there's Robert making an appearance. Hey, Robert. 
So uh, there we are. So we're going to do Psalms 19 and 23. In general, as I've mentioned, I've been just taking the Psalms for the coming Sunday. And so um, we'll read through 19 and then we'll go back and talk about it. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. There's a translation issue in, in that verse we get back to. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there's nothing hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my secret faults. Keep me... Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So what do we what do we see in this psalm? We start out with the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Does that praise? You praise and what, what is the ground of praise there? What, where does that go back to um, to us in the Bible? Huh? Creation. What are you saying? Yeah, creation. Yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the firmament, and he, and he made in the firmament the stars and also. So the, the re reference to heaven and firmament seems to take us back to the act of creation. Um, and so the, the, the two and three where it says, um, day to day utters speech and night and tonight reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where the voices is not heard. It can also be translated, nor is their voice heard. So it's it's a silent speaking. Um, in any way you translate it, that that and, and what, why would I think this is significant? Why why does this make a certain amount of sense that the creation speaks? How did God create? By speaking. Let there be these things, and they were. So they they stand, they, they so they exist as a testimony. To God and to the Word that spoke them into existence, so they themselves have a kind of um, 
Well, it, it's sort of the sacramental. This is really the origin of, of what we call the sacramental, that where the, the creation is a sign that points us to the creator. Was that? Yeah. Explain that for people. I mean, for the, like the stars. Well, I guess everyone knows it as the zodiac. Originally called. Okay. And it, or it paints the picture of the gospel in the twelve houses, birth and lion, lion of China, Judah. Or it's like it tells the story of the gospel, or preaches the gospel, I guess. Yeah. Well, well, one thing the, the creation narrative is, and this is, I think, significant to the psalm, is sort of a, a uh, an argument against paganism. Right. Because one, one of the things that, that mm -hmm. happens in the creation account is that all these things that, that, in the beginning you have God, and then he speaks into existence all these things, that the pagans essentially believed um, were God. So, um, so even to say that the heaven declares the glory of God, firmament shows His handiwork. There's a pointing to God. They're not they're not things to be worshipped in and of themselves. And one, as we get down to the talk about the sun here. Uh, some commentators think that this is specifically a polemic against the worship of the sun god, because the sun is it, it's shown as as this thing that's ordered by God and pointing to God, but not an end in and of itself. So the stars, the sun, they were all gods to the pagans. Yeah, that's the origin of paganism: is to worship the creation, and and. Uh, instead of the creator. And I, and I think if we, if we think about just even practically how, how these kinds of things originated in, in a world that is separate from God, first of all, you couldn't get it here. You've got to go up to the mountains and see the stars. Because it's, it's remarkable how when you go a place where you can actually see the stars, like your head is always brought up. Here, because of light pollution, we're lucky if we can see the Big Dipper on a night or a, a couple of things. And so you wouldn't, but but in the ancient world with no light at all, you'd always be, and so the, the, the impulse to attribute, um, you know, sort of a divinity to, to those, to, to things in the sky um, would have been a, a somewhat natural progression of fallen humanity, separated from God, disconnected from the maker, to begin to understand that the things to th that the things are the are, are God, not 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 God. And then of course prevails and even in contemporary idolatry, which it tends to be for us more of of appetite or something or money, but it's it's again mistaking that the thing is God. And so we understand everything is sacramental. That is, every good thing is a sign that points us to the God who made it. 
and only in that relationship we truly enjoy the thing can we appreciate it um, and that's sort of the process of worship which God intended in the beginning that humans would take the creation given him as a gift and offer it back to him in thanksgiving and then enjoy it so you receive it you you acknowledge where it comes from with gratitude and then you live joyfully in it um, so the first sin as Schmemann says was to partake of the one thing they couldn't give thanks for they couldn't take the forbidden fruit and offer it to God because it wasn't a gift you're not supposed to do that and so we had discussion in another class but a, a good um, litmus test for sin something you're about to do is can I give thanks to God for this <laughs> yeah. it'll expose us a little bit um, and, and this is where Eucharistically the act of the Eucharist of taking the creation and offering it back through the symbols of bread and wine or offering it back to God in thanksgiving is to be restored to that original priesthood the body of Christ which we, which we came away from and of course it's rooted in our Lord who offered himself fully to God and that's the paradox of this offering that when we offer ourselves fully we get our lives back to live joyfully when we grab it as if it were its own thing we begin to even lose the, the, the sort of shadowy life we have And that's also one of the problems of of, uh, of our world with all the identity stuff and, and, you know, you can do what you want to do. Well, you, you can't really. I mean, you can pretend you can for a while until the unreality, unreality of it comes home to roost. And you just, it just, because it's, it's literally nothing. Things that are not... Um, Things that are not rooted in God and his word have no real nature to it. They just, they're, they're, uh, um, they're, it is what it is. Um, and that's what makes pleasure, for example, ultimately a dead end apart from gratitude. Because if you think, oh yeah, I want this. Again, yeah, no, no, that's great. No, I need some more. I need some more. But you have to learn. You have to learn. Well, you, but you can learn it also by. You, you can learn it also. You also learn it by by just realizing, gosh, I keep getting more of this now. I'm almost addicted or something, and I'm this isn't working. And that's really the idea of of the Lent and season that we're about ready to enter into. It's not about um, God's not being happy with us enjoying life it's that unless we learn to say no and practice the separation we can't learn to say yes in the right way we can't really enjoy creating things in the right way that's the purpose of fasting it is it is we can't say yes unless we can also say no and that's what happened in the garden they couldn't say no so there was no yes 
they're just then we become captive to the appetite because of everything that calls us we have to do and that's what spiritual growth is about with with the, the discipline of fasting is about regularly disciplining ourselves to the no and you do that by something that's good you can't fast from anything that's not good if you're fasting from something that's not good that's confession that's, that's repentance but if you're if something is intrinsically good then you're then you are um, then you are saying no to practice that freedom um, and learn to live by by uh, by God by the presence of Christ and that's really the other thing is once we say no we want to learn to enter more fully into it, a, a prayer uh, to let God fill that emptiness because that's we're always tempted in in the Christian life to things always can loom too large. And so we have seasons of renewal, Advent, Lent. We need them. We, life is not a linear, steady state. It's it's a, a cycle that we we hopefully grow grow more. So um, <laughs> unless you're uh, unless you fooled us all and you're really addicted to pepper and spinach. <laughs> so then he, he has the image of of the sun this, that the um, the sun coming up on the mountains is uh, like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and and complimentary like a strong man to run his race it's really a warrior strong man it's not really like saint paul's you know everyone runs a race but it's really a, a warrior running to battle it's just sort of a personification of these things that give us a an appreciative appreciation of 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 the beauty of it So it's rising from one end of the heaven and, and, and goes to the other, there's nothing hidden. <clears throat> and so again, in a, in a, as a pagan polemic, it's, it's got its bounds set by God. It's beautiful in its course and bounds, but it still is a created thing that reflects the glory of God and shows his hand. So it's the order and beauty of creation that creation gives witness to. This, this also is something that, you know, when we talk about modern um, or contemporary sort of environmental concerns, um, I mean, Christians should, should have that. We haven't really, the, the modern idea, this is modern, uh, that um, we, we, we can feel free to trash the earth for the sake of profit has not really worked very well, and, it, and although it's been embedded in, a, in some kinds of Christian, it's been baptized as some sort of Christian approaches. In fact, it's just the overall idea that, that profit is not, it's not bad to do something and, and make money from it, but it's, it's not, it's bad to do something bad and make money from it. Mm -hmm. So the always the concern for a Christian is, is the thing I'm doing intrinsically good, and that will always involve a respect for other people, and for the world that God has made. But sometimes when we get into like contemporary environmentalism, we get into, into, into 
uh, sort of conversation with people who don't really understand the creation as a sign of a creator, and you get you get an you we you get an unbalanced kind of thing that this is the end, and almost in some things that the humans are expendable as long as we save the planet, which is. Um, so it's a balance there, and we have to be—we have to be discerning when we're having those conversations because we can appreciate some of the the concerns of, um, you know, of for for the the you know the beauty of the planet, but sometimes they come from places that are more pagan. This is worshiping the thing and not really and hating the people. <laughs> so I don't have any particularly profound essay on it, but it's something mm-hmm. to think about. Um, and and to realize that that especially um, um, certain strands of Western Christianity, sort of coming out of the uh, the post Enlightenment era and you know sort of the principles of Adam Smith, sort of baptized productivity, money, just whatever you do, and the and it, it and, and the ability to do harm magnify with the Industrial Revolution, where you could where you just created machines that could really do and I think you know, Lord of the Rings and, and is is a, and other of those uh, when they saw people who lived the destructiveness of the first world uh, world wars, but they really you know like the orcs who destroy things. It catches on this on this destructiveness of simple you know of just consuming things without respect for what they are, and that's happened to us. And we have it. It's kind of even in our culture all the time. We just assume. Well, yeah. I mean, have you have you seen any? Have you heard any analysis of anything that isn't ultimately determined by how much money it makes, or how much money someone gets, or how much, rather than by is this thing intrinsically good? I mean, I think this falls on a lot of different levels. It falls with, even with the, with with assistance to the poor. Oh, they need this much money. Well, you need meaning and purpose and, and connection and if people who don't have meaning purpose and connection and a sense of worth money isn't going to pull them out of that into a thriving life but we have this implication around everything so well i, I think i agree for instance and there's no way you can get it in a good way you just can't then possibly do it a little more humanely than having it a cusp off an elephant. But I mean and I think I think we've come to realize I think ivory has been outlawed almost everywhere, even in China, but um, fur, you know, furs have fallen out of favor. But and part of, part of the issue with these things, you know, are are the I I, I want to be careful because I'm not qualified to broad economic statements. But my observation is that it's also the movement from localized, sustainable communities. Yeah, we you might hunt, you might have fur, you might, but you're you're not wiping out the population. But then someone gets into, oh, yeah, we can make a bunch of money. So they're out there, they, they wipe out all the things. So there's no, it's, it's more the, the, the sort of approach we take it to maximize, you know, we do also all the problems we have these things, is, you know, are not that, that, you're, that people are eating meat or, or using fur. It's, it's that the, the, the ability through modern technology to just sort of maximize profit if we can get more of it just doesn't, 
it, it's carried out without respect to the, 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 the thing itself, and it's just not sustainable that way. So that, I, that's a good point why we have to be careful with our, who we're in league with on these conversations, because we're not, you know, uh, to say that um, the modern slaughterhouse is not really a very good way to, you know, produce meat, it doesn't mean that meat is intrinsically wrong to eat. And so those things, how do we get back to that? But it's almost, there's almost no way, it, it, I see this, uh, this is a, my opinion, not necessarily opinion of church or anything, but I just see that the, you can't really have that um, consideration for the, the intrinsic goodness and and the sustainability of the thing in, in harmony with the, the idea that every business has to grow 6% every year forever. You just, you can't do it. And, and yet we have those things and they coexist, you know, uh, in, in people's minds uncritically. Oh yeah, business, are, oh, sales are flat. You even gonna lay off half of people. Wait a minute, did you make money? Yeah, people, you know, there's other considerations that you could make, and I, I think we're somewhat anyway. So it's, that's a little far afield here from this, but um, <clears throat> but the but certainly the creation aspect of that comes comes into to play. And then we get a shift in in, in verse seven, uh, which is interesting. We start with the heavens declare the glory of God. And there's a abrupt shift to the law of the Lord is perfect. The law there's the Torah in Hebrew converting the soul. And it's almost here a parallel reference to two, two creations, one, the one at Genesis and the other at Mount Sinai, where God creates his people with the covenant and speaks his word again, the word that was um, spoken in creation and made things ordered and beautiful, but was spoiled by sin. On Sinai, you spoke again the word. And, and so this is kind of the the, it's a sort of litany of words here. Each word is different with a slightly different meaning, but plays off the Torah. The law of the Lord is perfect in bringing the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The spoken word giving life. And we should always relate that back to Genesis. <clears throat> Man who rejected the word now is made alive by the word. The fear of the Lord is clean. And all that thing, the fear of the Lord is clean because it's with that fear and humility that we receive the word and obey it. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Judgments in Israel would have been the case law rooted in um, the Torah. That's why you read obscure stories. What happens if two people are fighting the field and the wife of one grabs the gun private parts? It's actually in the Bible. <laughs> What's justice look like there? What's that? Yeah, well, that's not justice. That's just that's just that's just graphic description of of, uh, of the man, which every version other than the King James launders. <laughs> And then, um, so he goes into verse 10, then, 
singing the praise of, of the Torah in all of its manifestations, sort of gave the instructions um, and the fear of the Lord that, that gives life. Now, we should be aware, because this, this was very, um, you know, very Jewish, that Torah is life, but we will, we will come into the reality that um, Israel wasn't actually able to embrace the Torah and wasn't actually able to receive life. And this is the central thesis of St. Paul, the converted Pharisee, uh, because if we don't, um, uh, we'll get actually a couple comments of Pharisees below, but, but Israel didn't keep it. Yeah, it, it is true, this is what the Torah is, but in the, in the divine experiment that is Israel, Israel received the Torah and ended up in the Old Testament in exile and judgment. And so St. Paul in Romans and Galatians and elsewhere highlights that the purpose of the law wasn't to give life, although it, it was to reveal human sin, to lead us to the one, the Word made flesh, that next creative act, the Word in the beginning, the Word of Mount Sinai, and, and as Hebrews says, in this last days, he's spoken to us through his son. Then the word made flesh, and he put our faith in the word made flesh. Now we can have life. And now we can, in the spirit, and this is a very important principle about the, the, the life. Um, uh, so Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 4 says um, that the righteous requirements of the law, or Torah, might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So that um, life in the spirit, which we refer to as life of prayer, is a progressive entering into God more fully and a progressive ability to do what God commands us more fully. Never in a way that um, brings merit to, to to us before God, because we're already in that relationship. We talked about this, but but the but the point about the spirit that we receive 